Hello, Bears fans, and welcome to a brand new edition of Bears on Tap. I am Ron Luce. I am joined by Q himself, and we have a very, very special guest with us tonight. The man, the myth, the mind, whatever terminology you want to use here, behind the relative athletic scores. Uh, you can find him at Math Bomb on Twitter, Mr. Kent lee platt kent thank you for joining us tonight uh for starters how are you doing on this beautiful wednesday evening i'm doing great you know it's it's really nice weather we've had really crappy weather for a little while but we had really nice weather today so i got to keep the windows open get a nice breeze going it's pretty good i feel that i feel that being in the midwest as well uh can absolutely relate. I'm not even going to get into where Q's at. Q's just been bragging about good weather for for the last couple of months. But uh, Kent, we want to dive in with you, honestly, because I think you know Q's got a lot of good questions teed up for you. I'm sure I'm going to come up with a couple and just to pick your brain. Uh, but we'd love to hear your backstory and just how you got to where you are with your 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 relative athletic score system. Yeah, so I, I uh, joined the Navy right outside of high school, um, and I, I worked as a cryptologist, which is a very cool-sounding job, and there are cool elements to it, but I can't talk about my job when I was in the Navy, which also sounds cooler than the job was. It's, it's just the nature of the stuff that I worked with. <laughs> but uh, it, it helped, helped me really start getting into coding um, and trend analysis and things like that, which later on would eventually lead to me doing things like building Raz. Um, Raz itself started in, in 2013. I had conceptually had the idea for some time, um, but it was the Le'Veon Bell draft um, where when Le'Veon Bell was coming out, we always have these superlatives that we use for players, right? And you still get them. We still talk about these superlatives every year. You know, this guy is quick, but not fast. This guy is explosive. This guy is agile. This guy is, you know, um, fast for his size. These are all superlatives that don't really mean anything unless you have some context behind them. And Le'Veon Bell kept getting referred to as unathletic. That was the whole, every scouting report, it seemed like I read on Bell so that he was unathletic. And it all came down to his 40-yard dash, which is a 4.6. It's not a great 40-yard dash. But it's an okay one, especially for a guy that's 230 pounds. So it bothered me that that was the terminology that was used throughout the entire draft cycle to talk about him, um, especially when this is a guy who was 230 pounds and ran a 675 in the three cone. You know, that's like little scat back type of agility. And this is a bigger dude. And although his 40-yard dash wasn't very good, his 10-yard split and 20-yard split were perfectly fine. He, he isn't slow by any measure. Even by that measure, he isn't slow. But they used that terminology the whole time. I was like, fine, I'm just going to make a thing that we can look at to see, contextualize this, compare them to their, their position group, and see what a good test is. Because I knew that a 4.6 was just okay for a guy his size. But the way the media was portraying it, you'd, you'd have thought he walked the 40, you know? Um, so I wanted to build out something that was, that was intuitive, and I, I landed on a 0 to 10 scale. Um, it is effectively percentile when you're looking at each of the individual scores. You just move the decimal point over. Um, but I wanted to use 0 to 10 because it's easy to explain to people. You know, if, if somebody's trying to figure out whether that's good or not, it's usually a scale of 1 to 10. Or In my case, 0 to 10 works better because 0 automatically means you know it's bad. Nobody's, nobody uses 0 as a measure of good, right? Right. Um, 
So it, it, it was something very easy. And when I started doing the visualization, I just stopped light color coded everything because that's another thing that everybody at a glance can get an idea and understand. Um, you know, we, we talked before about how, you know, the league seems to be using RAS. They use something similar. Every team has their own analytics department. They've got a dedicated team of people that they pay to do this stuff. They have access to more data than any of us will ever get. Um, including their own tests, tests that we'll never see because they're behind closed doors in private workouts. Um, but what RAS does offer is, is a very, um, very close analog to what a lot of NFL teams use. Um, it isn't so much that they use RAS, but whatever they're using is similar enough that you can use RAS to get an idea of the types of players that your team is looking for. You saw it this year with the Bears draft class and a couple of other ones where they seem to just – they. If you weren't green, they weren't touching you. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it, that's that's really what it is, is. They're looking for elite athletes, and Raz does a good job of identifying elite athletes. Yeah, one hundred percent. Go ahead, Kev. I was just gonna say, I really like what you said about um, be, being a fellow stats nerd who's just always trying to put stuff into numbers. What you said about the putting just putting stuff on like a, a percentile scale that's zero to ten. Because like I've I've gotten some feedback on some of my stuff in the past where it's like, well, why'd you put it on this, on this one, this, this scale that doesn't mean anything. It's like, cause it's easy to look at yeah. <laughs> and people. And if, if I didn't do that, there's a very good chance you wouldn't even be commenting on it right now, asking me why I did that. Right. Yeah. Like it's, it, making stuff presentable is such a big part of it. It's, it's huge. And, and that that's why I did a redesign this last year. I, I had brought somebody in to do a redesign for me. Um, to help make the site look a little bit better, to help the cards look a little bit better, um, and to modularize the stuff that I was working on because I, I really like personalizing as much as I can. So that's why you had all the different cards for all the different colleges. Um, that's why you had, whenever a player gets drafted, you immediately get a card with that team's logo on it. Fans like that stuff. They like seeing their own their own stuff being represented. And um, it was very important to me to make sure that as I build Raz out, that it, it keeps some of that because it isn't just that, oh, this is the guy that I like. Uh, we had a guy named Jake Witt who came out this year um, out of Northern Michigan. Northern Michigan doesn't get a lot of NFL prospects. Um, there's not a lot of guys that come out that, that get even make it to an NFL camp, let alone an NFL roster and let alone drafted. Um, Wit tested fantastically, and I immediately made a Northern Michigan card so that he could have that branding on it. Um, and it's just neat to see people sharing, you know, never, never thinking that there would be a guy from their school and they get a, a card just like every other player, but it's got their team's logo on it. Um, and that was very special to me to, to really be able to put that kind of stuff together for everybody. Yeah. Yeah. I was going to say, I feel like too, right. When, because everybody puts out their opinions, right? Whether it's on Twitter or whether it's this or whether it's that. And like everybody tries to find the best way to measure. And sometimes it's the kiss method, right? It's just keep it simple. Like just do what people know. And then on top of that, you taking it the step further with the branding because it does add that personal touch. And I think people, people do appreciate that. And it, it not only helps, I think people, people obviously are drawn to the RAS scores then, right? Because they're, they're customized, they're branded to, you know, whether it's their school or a guy that they know or something like that. But on top of that, I feel like people go then the extra mile to understand what you're putting out as your product is the RAS score, right? Like 
oh, this is really cool, but what is this, right? Like it, it, right. it entices questions. It entices them to be curious and, and start to ask some of those questions that they might not have asked before just because they see numbers on a black and white or, you know, a black and blue or whatever generic color scheme is. So right. I think that's really cool that that, that you, you did that. And again, because it, it just it adds such a unique element to everything as well. Yeah, and I, I really enjoy hearing stories from people who have who have really gotten into data analytics and um, data review in general because of RAS. I mean, this has been going for years now, and I've been in, in a ton of college term papers where people have, have asked to interview me for, for writing their term paper, for writing, writing stuff that goes to their college professors. And it's a great honor to be included in those types of discussions, but it's also really cool to see people that amped up about something they found with my data like like I, I i'm not putting that out i'm just putting the data out there so people can use it and they're like oh yeah i found this really great correlation between um wide receivers under six foot and raz and this and it's really cool to see that kind of stuff come together um and it's it's almost as wild as seeing stuff in print in places that you never thought you'd ever see um so it's been a lot of fun I can say, I think the first time I found your website, I was on it for about three hours straight, just like playing with stuff. So it's, it's fun. Um, but I want to actually brag about your site for a moment. Cause I mean, I, I don't think that you're gonna, gonna do this yourself, but one of the things when I reached out to you was like, I was looking at one of the bears draft, uh, draft picks, Trevon Dexter. And everywhere I was looking his, his 10, 10 yard split was just terrible. And I was looking at like this 40 yard dash is good. This 10 yard split is terrible. His agility is good, which means his short area quit. This just doesn't add up. Like this doesn't make any sense. And then I noticed that your website had a different number than everyone else for the 10 yard split. And I have this, that, that like that moment of hope, like maybe everyone else is wrong, you know? Like, yeah. And so I reached out to you and you said, no, mine's right everyone else's is the unofficial number from the, the yep. NFL website. And it's and just a weird quirk, man. It's so annoying to me that they did that this year. <laughs> so for, for everybody else, um, during the combine, the NFL would display the 40-yard dash on their website, and they would also display the 10-yard split. The 40-yard dash would be unofficial, so it didn't have the little check mark. But the 10-yard split was always official. Like the moment a player ran, they were like, that's his official 10 which was really fishy to me because that's just not how they do things, right? We don't, we don't get the official tens until some hours later, usually. And same thing with the forties. Um, and it's usually right at the same time. Um, what they did this year was they just never fixed that. Whatever that bug is, they never fixed it. And they just left it up with the, with the bad data up. Um, I don't blame anybody that used those numbers. I mean, it's the same thing as, as me. There are numbers I know that are in my database that are incorrect numbers, numbers that I know are not, what the player ran or what the player tested, but I don't have proof of that. So I don't have what would be the correct number up because I don't have proof of it. What I have is what was written down. And it's the same thing with everybody else. You know, they, they don't have access to some of the stuff that I'm able to, I'm able to get to because of all the networking I've done over the last few years. Um, you know, so they'll have what the NFL gives them, which is unfortunately incorrect this year. Well, I mean, I just think for me, it's like, I'm going to your site for everything now. You know, I'm not, I'm, it's like Raz is the spot, you know, I trust it. Um, but that actually, so on the accuracy standpoint, that brings up a, a question for me of like, how do you weigh 
because I run into this sometimes when looking at prospects and trying to do data on guys where their pro day numbers are much different than their combine numbers in some areas, but their pro day weight is much different or their, you know, it, it's hard. I've always had a hard time trying to bridge the two. So how do you approach that? Or do you just stick with combine? I stick with combine numbers. Um, I, I use a hierarchy for the measurements that I use rather than using best of. Um, in general, there's an exception, which I'll, I'll get to, but in general, I use a hierarchy because it's I want to get as close to like for like as we can. And there is no better like for like test than what is done at the combine because we have the most players at any given position doing the same tests under the same circumstances during the NFL combine. So it provides us with the best like-for-like like comparison. When you start getting into pro day numbers, I mean, people people like to say that the numbers are juiced. They're not. The, the NFL or the college teams aren't the ones that are actually reporting numbers to the NFL. Um, there's There are scouts that report those numbers that don't have any kind of vested interest. The numbers from the media are often juice numbers um, because they do have a vested interest in making the players look better. Look better. Um, but pro day numbers aren't generally all that different from combine numbers anymore. There used to be a big difference across the board for every position and every school that has largely went away. Most schools are very close to the, um, uh, the numbers that they initially report. Most schools, like it's gotten to the point where most schools that repeat that were reap that actually post numbers are posting the official times that the scouts are giving to the NFL, they're not posting their own numbers. Those bloated ones that make their guys look nice. They're, they're posting the actual numbers. Um, most schools did that this year enough. So that when teams didn't people noticed um, Notre Dame was the, no, the most notable one because they, their times tended to be a lot faster and people immediately noticed that. Why are all these scores suddenly lower for these players? It's like, well, cause they juiced their numbers. So there's nothing I can do about that. It's the numbers they give us. That's why we put in a little unofficial mark next to them until we get the official ones, because like, we, we can't verify that it's authentic until we get the authentic numbers. Now, the times I will use the better numbers is there are players who attend multiple pro days. And in my opinion, there's not much difference in terms of that. And I like, what do I, do I take the earlier one? Do I take the later one? It just makes sense at that point because they're both pro days to use the better numbers. Um, guys like that need as much help as they can anyway to get get looks from school or from from NFL teams. Um, the fact that they have to go to multiple pro days to get their their um, in front of NFL scouts. Um, so benefit of the doubt, I just give them the better number from those pro days. But that's the only instance where I don't use a hierarchy. Has uh, have any players ever reached out to you afterwards and been like, way more? No, than they noticed think. what you put in. Way more than you think. Um, it is. Yeah. It is a very large number of players who do that. Um, most of them are really cool. Most of them just are just curious what their numbers are. Um, you know, guys, guys that are from smaller schools that I post about. You know, they'll they'll thank me for for putting out their stuff, and I'm like, I'm not the one that put up the numbers, man. Like, you're the one that put up the numbers. <laughs> Um, my favorite ones are the ones that give me heads up, like before the testing numbers come out. And uh, I had that with Montana State this year, where there was a, there, there was a couple of players that tested really well at the Montana State Pro Day, um, and the, the players were very excitedly tech, uh, sending me DMs and letting me know, "Hey, you, you got you're not you're gonna love this when these guys' numbers come in. They, you know, they're they're, they're going to be really high on your your, your metrics." And they were; they were pretty good. Um, you know, those ones were really fun, but 
you know, I rarely get players that are angry for the tests they have. And when I explain where I get the numbers from and why I use the ones that I do, they're usually accepting. They understand that it's a business. There's there's th reason things are the way that they are. Um, if I have a number wrong, which does happen, because again, not all NFL team or not all everything gets recorded correctly. Sometimes it will get written down wrong. They are very quick to correct me, and almost all of them bring receipts, which I'm grateful for. They're, they're always like, not only are you wrong, I have proof that you're wrong. Yeah. And if it's an official source, I'll correct it. If, if it's from an actual uh, accredited source, either from the, the APP uh, scouting numbers or if it's from um, like an actual scout sheet that they took a picture of, I'll take those numbers. That, that counts for me. So they love doing that stuff. Everybody loves getting their numbers higher. Yeah. So have a, are there any guys that you can think of that like you, you know, you saw their numbers and were like, whoa, and they end up going way higher in the draft than everyone thought or anything like that? We see that every year where there's a guy that tests really well and that that shoots their draft stock up. We saw that a little bit with Will McDonald this year. You know, everybody knew and everybody knew he was going to test well, too. Like it, there wasn't some mystery about how well he was going to test. Um, but sometimes you have guys where they you, they just don't test any way that you expect them to. Um, Jack Campbell, the Lions drafted Jack Campbell. There was a lot of talk about him not being very athletic. I specifically looked for those traits, and I thought those people were crazy that they were saying he had no <laughs> athletic traits. But it shocked a lot of people when he had one of the best testing of all time. I mean, like literally Brian Urlacher level yeah. of athletic testing. Um, that surprised a lot of people. I think the biggest surprise that I can remember in recent memory was Charlie Kohler last year, um, who tested out as one of the, the, the most athletic tight ends of all time. And no one, including me, and again, that is the specific thing I look for, uh, expected him to test anywhere near that. Um, and that's fantastic because we get to go back and figure out why we were wrong, right? Because it's, it's, it's not that the numbers are wrong. We're wrong. We have to figure out why we're wrong. Um, sometimes it's just a technique thing. Um, you, you see a guy on tape, um, Daniel Hunter's a good example of this where he didn't really look as athletic as he tested on tape because his technique was trash when he was in college and he needed a lot of work. And sometimes you can figure that out when you're watching him. You're like, the athleticism is there, but the technique's so bad that it makes up for the fact that he's, you know, athletic. You know, he's still falling behind because he's just real sloppy with his footwork or whatever. Um, but it's fun to go back and do that. And when you get numbers to compare to, you have that context right in front of you. You're not just you're not just imagining it as a possible possible thing. You can put something tangible behind it, um, which I think is really useful. And again, it's fun to do. You you've mentioned to Kent some of the right like players reaching out to you and and some of the like the, the the networking you've done over the years. How did you get started with some of that networking? I I, I would love to know because like was it just because the the website itself grew and and people started to reach out or like were you actively going about it? Was a little bit of both. Like how did that go come about? You know, making some of those connections that have now helped you just in terms of if nothing else to be correct and, and accurate with your data on your site i don't think i've ever been asked this before um <laughs> but I, it, it is a little bit of both okay. um in 2017 i had a friend i had a friend who was an, an actual nfl he's long since retired he's very old he's since passed away um but he uh he reached out to me and was like hey i, I think that metric thing you're working on is pretty cool do you want some data 
Uh, and I was like, yeah, I'll take some data. I know that you're a good, a good person to get data from. Send me some data. And he sent me like a, like 10,000 players that I could put in the database. And I was like, that's great. Which is why if you ever see anything from me prior to, to November of 2017, it means nothing that those numbers are worthless because my database literally doubled in size, um, in, in one day when I got that information. Um, you know, it, it provided me a chance to, to really start digging into stuff. But when I post it and people find, people start to see the metrics, people are interested in what other players look like. And at the time, the website didn't have all the neat little functions that it has now. It wasn't as easy to get around. So I did a lot of, a lot of networking just out of necessity. People would ask, Hey, what's this player score? What's this player score? Um, and I, I would pull it up because I have everything automated. It, everything that I do is made for the laziest person in the world, which is me. So everything I do is automated. If somebody wants something, I can pull it up faster than somebody else can on my site, um, even now. But it's much easier to get on and do that yourself now than it, it was back then. Mm-hmm. Um, but a lot of it was just, I need, to, I need this piece of information. Can you send it? And I would. And then they'd ask me, can you change the position? Now there's a button right underneath the card to switch position, but that didn't exist at the time. You know, I had to manipulate it so that I could switch it to another position. So it, it, the, the fact that the site wasn't quite there yet literally helped me network more. Um, and when I started get looking for more official sources of data, I started doing it on my own because you start to look for which scouts are going to be in attendance. Can I reach out to that scout? Um, are they a person who's going to be willing to provide me with information? Um, can I give them something? Because a lot of times it's, it's a trade. They want something, um, from my database. I go get it for them. And then, you know, they give me, you know, a player, the player data from that day. Um, you know, it's, it's a lot of fun to do and it's really cool to be able to put that stuff out and see people's reactions to it when, when we get those kinds of numbers. Yeah. No, I, I think that's I think that's awesome. Like it's it just it's so cool to to hear how the, that comes about, right? Like you're just it just being honest. Like, hey, would love to know what this guy's metrics are, so we can we can make a score for him. And and now it's compounded to the point where, like you said, you're getting DMs from players. Like, hey, how did I test? Hey, you should see this. Like, it, it's cool to see the evolution of that, right? Like through your networking and, and how it builds out your brand too. So it's really yeah. neat to see. And it's fun. So, I mean, I'm, I'm just going to keep doing it till it ain't fun anymore. So <laughs> there you go. Absolutely. So I'm, I'm curious how the, uh, like the positional groupings, when you said that, like that, that kind of triggered in my head, the thought that I've had before on your site of like, man, this guy, he, he's listed as a linebacker, but I think he's an edge rusher. Is that a defensive end? Or is that like, where do you try tend to bunch those guys in who kind of, fall into multiple position groups or might have like a defined role. So the NFL has uh, official position groupings that they list during the draft. It has changed. Um, some of them are not the same anymore. Um, but generally what I, what I use is what was used many years ago when I first started putting this together. Uh, it's, it's the traditional position groupings that the NFL would use for scouting which is why we have OC instead of just C for center, because that's what the NFL use. They still do to, to this day. They still use OC for centers. Um, wide receivers is something weird. I forget what wide receivers is now, but it's a weird, it's not WR S- for wide receivers. SC, like spend. Yeah, it's, it's, it's something like that, mm-hmm. um, which is always gets me. And then DS is cornerback for defensive secondary. 
Um, okay. But I, I'm, that would be confusing if I started using the ones that they're using in a lot of those now. Uh, I am I am building out that functionality this off season. Um, I've been doing interviews for interns to bring in people to help do some data data studies to pull in some new data sets and um, switch some of the position groups that we have: edge rusher, interior defensive line. You know, more more modern positional okay. groupings for some of this stuff. Um, the regular scores will remain the standard position groups, and then we'll have the option to switch to the other ones and compare. And there will be menus where you can go look at just those position groups as well. Um, but that's not there yet. We're, we're still building that out. I mean, that sounds awesome. And it sounds like a daunting amount of data changes. <laughs> so. 20, 24,000 players. <laughs> I have to walk through individually and be like, what's this guy do? And and it gets real. It gets it's easier to do in the in the recent years because you know most of these guys. And as you see him, you're like that guy. I think right. he was an edge rushing linebacker. You know, it's it's easier to do. But you start getting back, you know, 10, 15, 20, 30 years, and you're just like, I don't even know who this is. The internet doesn't know who this is. He doesn't Dude. have a wiki page. It's just some random from you know. I cannot Blount tell College. you <laughs> how upset. Like, I don't know. 13 14 year old me was or probably like 15 year old about lance briggs missing out on all pro teams and pro bowl teams because that defensive end sean merriman kept stealing it from him and he's not even a linebacker like <laughs> <laughs> it would drive me nuts yep. yeah and I'm, I'm hopeful that the nfl figures some of that stuff out too you know they're the weird quirkiness of some of their sites is is something that you really expect them to have that stuff worked out as big of a corporation as they are um but those type of position groups you know if we can start figuring out ways to divvy them up that way i don't know why the nfl has so much trouble with it yeah i know it's uh it's always a fun exercise to look at their like pro bowl teams and stuff and be like what's what's the flex supposed to mean like what's <laughs> you know um so who are some of your just like all-time favorite guys that you've you've looked at from the the raz perspective of like yeah this guy is fun like his card is fun to look at it's fun to think about fun to see it play out on the tape like who are some of your your favorite guys I've got. I started pulling up some of my old classics here when you brought that up because they're so much fun. Um, <laughs> Cal Calvin Johnson's always the first player that I bring up when I start talking about it because he's just such an absurd athlete, <laughs> and it's it's fun to show people that Calvin Johnson's worst metric as far as testing, he had a ninety seventh percentile ten yard split, and that was the worst thing he did was his 97th percentile test. Um, he has the highest overall RAS average of any player ever, even, even now, even today. It's a little bit lower than it was. Most players, the scores kind of go down over time, um, even him at the top. But he still got the highest score ever all time. Um, number two and number three were drafted in just the last two years. We had um, Anthony Richardson this year and Jordan Davis last year. Um, it's very rare, though, because prior to that, you had Calvin Johnson, and then the, the the second best guy was somebody from, I think, 2014. And the other guy was from even further back that was in third. And now in Bam Bam, year, year over year, we had two guys in quick succession that are just absurd-level athletes. Um, another one of my favorite ones that I love to bring up is Mike Mamula. Um because of the impact that he had on testing in general and the sport, 
Uh, Mike Mamulik was out of Boston College in 1995. Uh, he was projected to be a third-round pick, but he was also invited to the Combine. And he's the first player that we, we know of that, that publicly tested or, or trained specifically for the Combine. He trained in the 40-yard dash. He trained in the shuttle. He trained in the vert and the broad. You know, he went through and made sure that when he got to the combine, he was blowing them out of the water. Um, every player in the NFL combine now does what Mike Mowler did. They, they are all uh, beneficiaries of his gaming the system one time. It got him from the third round to the first round. Um, his score still holds up after all this time. He, he's a, a, a six four and a half, two hundred and forty eight pound defensive end who ran a 4.62. He had a 4.03 shuttle, which at the time was the best ever. He had a 38-inch vertical, which was one of the best ever at the time. A 10.5 broad, which was one of the best ever all time. Um, you know, he he just destroyed the combine. And that, that was always a, a hilarious one to me because he's remembered as being this big bust, but he had such a huge impact on the sport as a whole. He changed um, the game. Can't tell the story oh, of yeah. football without him. Um, <laughs> the next the one, combine. the next one, you're going to think I'm lying. And I think I'm lying every time I pull this card up, but then I go look up and it's, it's absolutely <laughs> true, which is Dallas Clark in 2003, uh, Dallas Clark, you know, he played for a million years and he did start to slow down towards the end, but just to give you an idea of why he had the staying power that he did, um, he ran a four, six, five, which was great at the time. That's still great for a tight end. Um, his vert and his broad were both 96th or 96th and 98th percentile. So he had already had great explosion drills. But listen to these agility drills here. Um, he ran a 3.85 shuttle drill at 257 pounds. And that's not as impressive as his cone drill. So his cone was a 6.33 three cone drill. Um which is just absurd yeah. because nobody runs a six three running a sub six eight is considered amazing for most positions um let alone I, a, a nearly 260 pound tight end um, i think i came insane. across his card once on your website and i was like how is his score so high and i just like looked at it, i was like I, I have to know i was like no those agility though like i couldn't believe the agility the first time I saw those, um, I, I did not believe them. And when I'm doing research on older players, anybody prior to 2005 is really hard to get data on. So I was like, no, I got to find I got to find multiple sources. And I found many sources for that one. And I was like, none of these wow. make sense. Like these, this, this can't I, even after seeing it, I'm like, can't be real. Um, so I love I love that one. Um, and then I got a pair of, of lower scores that I always love to bring up. Um, I, I, I bring them up in, in a loving way. I, in, I, I, I'm, I'm not denigrating these players. And I want people to think that I'm, I'm talking smack on them. The, the fact that they tested poorly and still became great NFL players um, is part of why uh, this stuff is interesting. Because you get to start to look into why they tested as poorly. Why didn't it matter for them, but it matters for everybody else? Um, and that's Jarvis Landry and Orlando Brown. Um, Jarvis Landry had a 0 0.27 out of 10 for his Raz, which you may recognize as a very small number. Out of 10. <laughs> um, 
I built a uh, a Frankenstein's like wide receiver. I did it for every position, but I did like a Frankenstein's wide receiver of every Pro Bowl wide receiver, and I put all the best traits together from all the best wide receivers uh, of the last couple of decades. Um, and it was really cool to see like, oh, you have, you know, Calvin Johnson's uh, explosiveness and um, uh, what's his name? The guy that passed away to, to the Buccaneers, um, Vincent. Um, Vince Jackson. Yeah. Vince Jackson. Vince thank Jackson. You. Um, yeah. Vince Jackson's size, you know, just, just all putting all those traits together was really cool. And then I did a, a one that was all the worst traits, like the, the best players with the worst traits. And half of them were Jarvis Landry. (laughs) (laughs) And he did test better at his pro day. Uh, There is a story behind why he tested as poorly as he did. Jarvis Landry tested at the combine with a bad hamstring. Uh, Hamstring is a very limiting injury. It's not a serious injury generally, but it is a very limiting injury. It will hold you back when you're trying to do testing. And he tested anyway, knowing that that was holding him back. Um, he tested later at his pro day. He did significantly better. Not good. He still didn't test well, um, but he did significantly better. Um, Orlando Brown was pretty much the same. He's this gigantic, massive, monstrous human being, um, and he tested among the worst of any player ever. Um, his 40-yard dash, vertical, and broad jump were all under 10th percentile. Um, one of them was 6th percentile the vertical and the broad were both sixth percentile which is just as close to the bottom as you can get without scraping it um but he he, he was yelled at for loafing during the combine also like he was just kind of kind of hanging around um it's considered one of the worst combines any player has ever done and if it wasn't for jarvis landry i would hands down put this on him um but orlando brown doesn't win by being an athletic dude. And we know how he wins because he's told us. And this is why this stuff is interesting because you don't usually get a a player talking about how they're unathletic, but they don't care because they don't win that way. Um, And we had Orlando Brown, he's done it in several interviews now. He's talked about, you know, he uses his length. He uses his understanding of where the defender is gonna be to find an angle. And because he's so big, he's able to use his leverage in ways that more athletic players aren't able to do because they don't have the size. Um, it's very interesting to hear that kind of stuff because you can look at other players like Dewan Jones in this class who maybe have the same types of traits, even though they didn't test well. And he didn't, he didn't get a, a full profile, but he, he wasn't headed for a good score, I don't think. Um, but, you know, it's, it's really cool to see how guys that don't test well win because then you can start to look for that in other players. And you can find those guys that you might miss otherwise. Um, which is why guys like that are such, so there's, they're so important to this process. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think, uh, we get as like, you know, Twitter analysts or however you want to want to put it out there. I think we get too close minded sometimes with testing scores without thinking like, but does that, does that matter for them? You know, like you mentioned DeWan Jones. I mean, I, I think there were some, some questions about him outside of just testing, that supposedly were around, but what I know is I saw a guy with 36 and a half inch arms who was dominating the day one of the senior bowl. Like, you know, mm-hmm. and I'm just, I'm questioning like, does it really matter when he's yeah. that strong and that long? Like I'm and even when a player tests well, but they have one test that they don't test well in and people start questioning it. DK Metcalf had, you know, ridiculous size or, or height, weight and speed combinations. Just insane. 
Um, a fantastic explosive drill, but he had terrible agility drills and people were just dogging the hell out of him. Like he used that on the field. Like, like his big thing was yeah. being real shifty. That was not how he won in college football. Yeah, you know, he he did a lot of things very well. None of them were agility related. Um, it didn't matter. We saw it this well, year with uh, Jackson Smith and Jigba, where people were like, "Oh, he's going to test really poorly," and then he tested phenomenally at the combine. And they're like, "Well, he didn't run the forty. He's going to run a bad forty, uh, and he ran a good 40. And they were like, "Ah, oh, but his ten yard split was bad." <laughs> they were just trying to find reasons to put something on. Yeah, and I mean, and again, and he's a guy that you, t- you turn on the tape, and you're sitting there saying, "It's not how he wins, anyways." Mm-hmm. He is like is so detailed. He always has new tricks in his bag of how he's going to get open that the defender hasn't seen yet. Like it's, it's such a cool part of the scouting process, I think. But um, I just had a thought and I lost it. But how it goes, we can go on. Um, so. <laughs> We can move on. Let's let's talk a little NFC North if, if you're if you're game sure. for that. What what do yeah. you think of the Lions draft class? Oh, the Lions the got Lions the worst. Fan. Like like none of their picks were high value, and I was literally I had to stop joking around about my team. I, I you know everybody loves their team, but you try to be a little lighthearted about things. Um, and they just kept doing the picks that I was joking about. And it's not that they got bad <laughs> players; it's just that they got pretty bad value for it. Yeah. It's always going to be about positional value when you talk about this draft. Um, but I've been talking about the Lions drafting a, a running back early since Brad Holmes was hired. Brad Holmes loves drafting early running backs. It's been a thing. And the Lions have this hilarious history. I mean, it's it's a tragic history, too, because a lot of guys get hurt, where they draft a guy who's like a speedy speedy back with injury concerns, but a speedy, speedy guy to try to open up their offense. He gets hurt, starts to become inefficient, so they replace him with another guy who's a speedy back that they drafted high, um, who gets hurt, and then a couple years later they draft him with another guy, and it's just been this endless cycle. Um, Gibbs doesn't have the durability concerns that some of the guys that they picked before have, um, but I've been joking around about them drafting a running back early for a long time, and then they did. And then live on Pride of Detroit, because I was on Pride of Detroit at the time, um, on their, their podcast, um, I, I joked, watch, they're going to draft Jack Campbell next, because that'd be the lowest value pick they could take. And then they did. And then I went to Twitter and I was like, all they got to do now is draft the tight end and they've got the low value trifecta. And then they drafted <laughs> Sam Laporta. And I, I didn't make a joke about it, but I knew they were going to draft the third round quarterback. They had to at that point. Um, and their next two picks were a safety and a nose tackle. Like they were just going for every, they were hitting every yeah. low value pick that they could. Um, they got a lot of good players, but they 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 spent a lot of high value picks on players that don't play high value positions. Right. I actually I, I was listening to something today that said the Lions draft just it feels better if you just think that Brian Branch went first, and then the it went the went the rest of the way. Because like you said, safety is still a low value position, but at least he was a guy who everyone thought was going to go go higher than he did. Yeah. Um, but I mean, I liked all the players they drafted. It's just like you said, it's, it, it was the value question behind it. Um, but so how you feeling about the lions this year? We, uh, we as bears fans might be a little worried about, I think, but yeah, they've got, they've got a really good, they've got a really good coaching staff set up and they've, they've been, they've been talking about development since they walked in the door. 
um, developing coaches, developing players. And we, we got to see some promising things in year one, but they still lost a lot of football games. Year two, they really started to walk that walk. They started to show a lot of that development players that hadn't had a chance to even get to the field all that much were playing very well. And you had guys that were brand new that were coming in from day one and doing really well because they had developed their coaching staff in a, in a significant way. Um, you know, they had both, both of the top rookies for sacks last year. Mm-hmm. Um, that's crazy. You don't usually get that, especially when one of them is a, a, I think it was a sixth round pick um, yeah. in James Houston. Yeah. You know, you don't, you don't get that very often. Um, so it's it's promising, even with the, the type of picks. We can criticize the picks for the value, but it's really hard to deny that they're good at developing guys. And the, the real concern, the only real concern that I have is the quarterback position because Jared Goff, for me, is just not that dude. Um, but they've made it really hard for him to fail this year. They've given him a lot of very favorable weapons. You know, here's Jamar Gibbs, throw to him behind the line of scrimmage. You can hit a guy behind the line of scrimmage. That's easy. You know, it's putting a lot of the work on the supporting staff. Um, but they're very well poised in the NFC North this year. Don't get to so, say that often. So with uh, with all the – like Ben Johnson's a really hot name, right, like mm-hmm. around the NFL. Can you – it? how would you say – what does he do differently than like other offenses in the league, or what does he really do well? Like if I'm if I'm sitting here trying to scout the Lions this year – what would you suggest I'm looking out for? Johnson does a really good job of utilizing the personnel that he has. So he has a quarterback in Jared Goff who's not very good at passing deep, but he is very good underneath, and he's good when he has no significant pressure. So Johnson figures out how to keep pressure off of Goff, which it's always good to have less pressure on your quarterback. Um, but when you have a quarterback that has that as, as a pretty, there's a pretty, pretty big drop off in play for golf when he's pressured versus not. So it's an imperative of the offense that they're able to keep pressure off of him. Um, one of the ways that they can do that is by improving the run game. Um, and they didn't have that dynamic flavor they wanted because DeAndre Swift was hurt quite a bit. So he took Jamal Williams, who isn't a dynamic back and he got him as a thousand yard rusher on the year because he's so good at figuring out how to use the personnel that he has. The Lions offensive line was banged up all year, and it was one of the better offensive lines in the league because he knows how to use the guys that he has, and he knows how to to utilize what talent he can in his play calling. So it's not a stylistic thing. It's not a schematic thing that makes him a good coach. Um, It's more a a player guidance standpoint, a utilization standpoint that makes him dangerous because you can't just – if a guy gets hurt and there's a replacement guy, you can't just think, ah, we're just going to attack that because that's that's a huge weakness now. He's very good at finding ways to make you pay if that's what you try to do. Boy, that uh, that sounds like a future head coach to me. <laughs> he, he's a pretty dang good one. And they've got a guy that's on the defensive side that's also got a lot of really positive traits. But his, his, his side of the football was statistically much worse, which is Aaron Glenn. Um, Aaron Glenn is very similar. He, he makes, he makes, you know, uh, he makes a lot out of almost nothing. Um, the, the fact that their off their defense was statistically bad is, is obviously a big deal, but when you have a guy with no secondary, because everybody gets hurt and he's still able to put guys out there undrafted free agent guys, and he's able to put them in position to at least be competitive and slow down some of the defenses that they're facing. 
Um, it's really promising to see that kind of stuff because if you're not you're not relying on scheme. The the last couple of coaches the Lions have, it's all been about the scheme that they're bringing in. You know, oh Matt Patricia's bringing in the Patriots. They're going to bring in their defensive scheme and their their style of football. Um, they had uh, Joe Lombardi at one point who was bringing in um, Sean Payton's style of offense. It was all oh they're going to bring this thing over. They're going to bring this thing over. Uh, what makes this team different or feel different as a fan? is that this isn't a, a Patriots team in Detroit colors. This isn't a Saints team in Detroit colors. or It's it's not the Titans like it was under Jim Schwartz. It's not the Titans team in a different color. This is a uniquely Detroit team, mm-hmm. and that's very crazy to see. It's refreshing to hear that, too, I think, just as a football fan and as like a, a somebody who played the game, even if at not the highest level, because, like, I distinctly remember being in high school and that's what it was for us. We were really successful in in our JV years because we had coaches that knew how to put the players in the best position to succeed. And then we got the varsity and this coach came from this big, you know, prominent high school and it was the, the round peg in the square hole idea. And I, I think you see that across the NFL and Yes, these guys are professional athletes, but at the same time, that methodology still applies. And I, I agree. I, I am fascinated by the Lions. I think, honestly, HBO and the NFL doing hard knocks for the Lions was, I think, the proper recognition for what Detroit's building, truthfully, because it gave the rest of the NFL an insight into what is the Detroit Lions franchise now. Because it's not the Lions of old. It's not this team that's going to you know, go out there and, and – you know, fans are wearing bags on their head with holes cut out for eyes, right? It, because, like you said, they know how to put the, their players in the right, you know, area to succeed and in the right position to succeed. But they also know how to play to the strengths of those players. They are not just trying to say, this is how we're going to do it, get over it, or you're not going to play. It's no, no, no. How do we maximize what we have here? It's almost like, dare I say, it's like applying Moneyball methodology to the NFL in a lot of ways, right? Where it's just, how do you get the most out of your player in that position? And, you know, I'm surprised we don't hear that term thrown around more with the Lions, especially after this draft, because what doesn't scream money about, about, like, drafting a bunch of guys who you shouldn't have drafted there because they're not worth (laughs) the pick? You know what I mean? Right, right. Um, You know, it's, they're they're looking at things very differently, and it's hard to get used to, um, both as a fan and as somebody that covers them, you know, professionally for, for the work that I do. Um, it's it's very interesting to see an approach that you're not used to and you, you're just going to have to figure it out because now we can come into next year very differently when we're looking at the draft because we can't look at it as well the positional value they won't do that yeah they will yeah, they will they will so you, you can't draft a kicker in the third round they might if they need a kicker <laughs> you know well, um, i really like work. what you said um it's not the saints in lions colors or the patriots in lions colors like i think that's something that gets thrown around really often like when the bears hired nagy it was like uh-huh. they're gonna be just like the chiefs and like you know it's that's not the goal here because the goal here should be sean payton wasn't bringing the dallas cowboys offense sean payton was bringing his offense you yeah. know what it, he's bringing something that works for his players and his offense is the accumulation of that over years and years of doing it. Or like even on the coordinator side, like Vic Fangio. 
I'm not sure it's his system as much as he's just really good at coaching defense and knowing what's going to work and what, whoa, obviously he has player fits, but I mean, it's not, I don't think it's as simple as he learned this offense. He learned this defense. We're just going to plug it in and go. I think that's a, a big mistake from, from the fan standpoint that I've, I've fallen for multiple times. So I, I really liked that statement by you. I think that, that yeah, says having, having seen it now, that's going to be like the first thing I'm looking for with a new staff for any other team. You know, if, if they're coming in and they're installing some other team's thing, I'm going to, I'm going to be immediately skeptical because having seen the lions do that so many times and other teams, it's not just them, but you started, I started to notice it obviously because I'm so hyper-focused on the lions for so many years. But like, if you're, if your guy isn't coming in and building his own thing, even if they say they are, if he's not, if he's really not, he's just building the thing that he did before, then that's a worry. It should be a worry for teams because it's not, I don't think it's sustainable to do that because they can, they get all your tape to figure out what you're going to do. And they can watch other teams that they know you're copying to get ideas of what you might do. Uh, it gives you a, a pretty severe negative handicap when you, when you, when you do that to yourself. I, I think too, keeping it in the NFC North, right. I think we saw a lot of that with the bears early on last season, because obviously this team was meant to fail. Let's just call it what it is. They were supposed to be bad. They were supposed to get a top three draft pick, just like they did. Like that part of the plan was successful, but they still wanted to see enough growth in Justin Fields to say, is he or is he not the quarterback of this new regime? Because he was not drafted by Ryan Poles and, and Matt Eberflus. But I think you saw that from like weeks one through five and then the rest of the season where it felt like a lot of square peg round hole in the first five weeks of the season. He's going to run the Getsy offense. The Getsy offense is the green Bay offense. Like they're going to plug and play the green Bay yeah. offense. And it just didn't work. And then finally in that bye week they sat down, they said, look, we need to start playing to Justin Fields' strengths. We need to play to the fact that we don't have a healthy offensive line that is cohesive as a unit of five, because they have not all played together for enough time this year. How do we get the most out of this group? And then, sure, the defense was just that bad that they were still losing games. But you saw it in that stretch, right? When they when they played when they played you guys in, in against Detroit here at Soldier Field, when they played the Dolphins, when you played some of these other teams, because they started playing to Justin Fields' strengths, they started playing to the strengths of the rest of the offense. And then all of a sudden, it, it a, a team where the lead receiver was what Equanimous St. Brown, possibly this year, like was a middle-of-the-pack offense statistically and putting up 30 points a game. And it was just like, it's so refreshing to see that when when coaches finally, like, the light bulb clicks. And, like, you know some of it's ego for some of them where they're just like, mm -hmm. well, my way is going to work. And it's like, no, 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 dude, that's not how it works. Because all the best coaches that you see, like you said, and, and I, I think very highly of a guy like Ben Johnson. I was almost surprised that Detroit was able to retain him this season because I just had a hunch somebody was going to dive in head first and just give him a blank check and say, how much money do you want? We want you to be our head coach. But I think that's another important part of what like the Lions are building culturally too in Detroit because people want to be there, right? People want to oh, yeah. play under Dan Campbell. People want to coach under Dan Campbell. I'm, I'm and, surprised we don't hear more about people wanting to play for him. He's, he's a very well-loved and well-respected person. You, you, I haven't heard anyone say anything bad about Dan Campbell. No, I am, I am a huge fan of Dan Campbell. Like it's funny 
I, I make the joke because um, I'm an avid, you know, when you're just you need to kill five minutes and you flip through TikTok type person. Um, I know TikTok's listening because I've talked amongst my friends that Detroit's the only team in the NFC North that scares me this year. Because I get like Detroit Lions clips now in my for you page on TikTok, which is hysterical, but like it's kind of fun because I, I feel like especially in what we do, like right, what we do here at Bears on Tap, obviously, you know, like you've mentioned with, with hyper focus, right, on your one team, you lose sight of what the rest of the league is. And like I think as a football fan, it's kind of cool to see into those those other locker rooms and those other front offices and and get a feel for what is going on and how these different teams go about what they do right like i think so many people are so you know enamored by like what the the chiefs are doing or what the eagles are doing right obviously the the two teams that just competed in the super bowl and then all of a sudden like each year you start to see little copycat things like it's something Mm -hmm. i was on here saying immediately when the lions signed montgomery and the bears started just picking up travis homer and and deonta foreman and, and then they drafted roshan johnson like it's running back by committee. And when you look at what the, the two teams that went to the Super Bowl did, they went running back by committee. It was a seventh round pick in Isaiah Pacheco and a wily veteran in, in, you know, Derek McKinnon. And then on the flip side, it was, you know, a Miles Sanders complimented by Gainwell and Scott. And mm-hmm. like, it wasn't some high paid running back. It wasn't the Saquon Barkley's of the world getting the job done. So it, it, it's cool to, again, just kind of, seeing all of that and again as an nfc north fan like it it honestly this is going to sound really weird but like it pains me at times that like this current lions team is in the nfc north because like i want to like them but i just naturally cannot you can't. You i can't can. because they're going to be the reason that the the bears mm-hmm. maybe don't make the playoffs if, if they lose two games to the lions this year so uh it, it's it's definitely cool to see and, and and kind of while we're on that topic right like the nfc north and just things like that we we kind of touched on it a little bit at the beginning of the show, but I would love to know your your just kind of, I guess, feeling on it. Is obviously you mentioned right that Raz score is very parallel to a lot of what these front offices are using. Like something that we've noticed is a common trend as Bears fans is ever since Ryan Poles has taken the reins of the Chicago Bears now, players with high Raz scores are what he's targeting. Like that's just, that's his jam in in Uh these last two drafts. He did it with the the Kyler Gordon and and Brisker driven draft. They got a Braxton Jones because of that, you know, looking at his athleticism, athleticism and what he could do. And he started every single game at left tackle for the team as a fifth round pick. And then we saw it this year too, another just green Raz score draft. And then even his lone trade deadline acquisition and Chase Claypool is one of the highest graded guys that you have as a receiver for, for Raz scores. I think he's in like the 99.8 percentile, I believe is the the number he's high. So like, just what is that? I think in terms of maybe like how you feel in terms of like, Oh, maybe we got this thing right. And like the, the model does work. Like how cool is that seeing the parallels to, what teams are using and then how similarly you're kind of grading out with a lot of these players and, and, and when teams buy into that. It's neat when fans notice because they, they start paying attention to your work and they start, they start posting, Oh, this, this guy would look really good with our colors. Cause they, they, they feel that that's what their team is going to look at. And then they do. 
And that's that's very satisfying as a fan to to see it. Um, the Colts fan base has been very very fun to play around with because they they're those guys are just insane with this stuff. Um, you know, they they very rarely take anybody who's not the top athlete at their position. Um, you know, some teams just uh, they're recognizing that their their roster is in a pretty significant point of weakness, and they they realize that one of the best ways that you can turn a roster around is by getting a lot faster and a lot more explosive and a lot quicker. Um, bringing in those traits as a whole, from as a holistic approach, bringing in those types of traits makes it more difficult to beat your offense. It makes it more difficult to beat your defense. Um, getting guys with the experience they need to be able to use those traits effectively, that's something that you can learn with time. So if you have a bad team, why wouldn't you just draft as many athletes as you can? Why wouldn't you just make all, take all of those shots? Um, it's a higher likelihood that you're going to find success than taking guys that are, are potential athletic outliers. Um, there's plenty of guys. We already talked about a couple. There's plenty of guys that you know didn't test well that still found NFL success, um, but they don't tend to be your early round picks. And they, they tend to be guys who you might have taken in an earlier round if they hadn't attested really poorly. Um, those types of guys tend to go to teams that have a luxury of knowing that they're picking later in the first round. They're not making highest the highest value gambles because they're not drafting that early in the round. Um, if you don't have that luxury and you're you are drafting earlier in the round, take shots on athletes every single time. I mean, it's it's just it's really not a hard formula to follow. <laughs> so. Ken, I think when Ron said something, it, it it made me think of one last question for you here. Uh, when Rob mentioned that the Lions might be the team, a team that keeps the Bears out of the playoffs this year. So I want I want you to just like put your imagination hat on with me. And it's like <laughs> it's week 16. Lions are coming down to Soldier Field. Playoff implications on both sides. And Dan Campbell gives you a call. And he just he just flowered asks you, Kent, how do I stop Justin Fields? What, what's your answer for him? <laughs> so they've already made moves that are designed to stop mobile quarterbacks, partially because they have Justin Fields in the division. Um, Jordan Love taking over as the quarterback of the the Packers is a significant change. Going from a guy like Rodgers at the end of his career to a guy like Love is a big difference in mobility. You know, Rodgers was pretty mobile early in his career, but he hasn't been for several years. Um, and Kirk Cousin uh, exists. So you got guys <laughs> like Jordan Love. And um, nobody schemes to stop. Whether you think that he's good or not, nobody schemes to stop Kirk Cousins. You just, you just play football. And if your defense is better than their offense, you're going to beat Kirk Cousins. Um, you know, it's... It's not somebody you have to really pay attention to. Justin Fields is. Jordan Love could be if he's a, if he's a decent enough passer. Um, Lions went through the trouble of bringing in uh, multiple cornerbacks this offseason. They draft they they signed two guys in free agency that were very very well respected and well thought of, um, and then they drafted Brian Branch. They also drafted Jack Campbell in their, with one of their first round picks, and they drafted a nose tackle um, early. They they spent a lot of resources in trying to stop both just offenses in general um, and a mobile quarterback. If you have a, a better nose tackle, you can shore up that middle of the, that middle of the offensive line and you don't have to worry about a quarterback taking off right up the middle. 
Um, if you have corners that are able to move around your formation and switch from outside corner to nickel to safety, which both which Brian Branch can do, um, Mosley can do, uh, and Cam Sutton can all do. They can all move. And Tracy Walker is coming back from injury this year. Um, all those guys can move around to different positions. That allows you to blitz from different platforms using your defensive backs, which Aaron Glenn, Aaron Glenn loves to do. It's one of the only schematic elements that has has stayed with him throughout each of his stops. Um, if you have guys that can move around, you can switch them to be, between different zone coverages and man coverages and blitzing. And blitzing a defensive back against a mobile quarterback is a high-risk, high-reward type of thing because they have the speed to get to him when he's deep in the backfield. And if you have a running quarterback like Justin Fields, you tend to make some of those longer drops because you can rely on his mobility to get him out of it. So I would say that they've already made a significant number of moves to stop a guy like Justin Fields. And if they improve how they implemented the schematic elements and the actual play calling to match the type of personnel that they have now, I think by design, it just does that. It just helps you eliminate a mobile quarterback. So if I'm hearing you right, your answer for Dan is, Dan, you've already thought about it. You've already done it. Just listen to your gut. Pretty much. I'm sure I'd say some, I'd try to find some weird quirky way to say it, just like he does. <laughs> um, I'll, I'll come up with some random analogy that involves a tree and a muskrat or something. <laughs> he'll put it in his, he'll write it on his, write it in his little notebook, post it up on the wall. Uh, we'll figure, we'll, we'll figure out the exact wording later, but we, we've got a basic idea what it is. Oh yeah. man. That's incredible. That's absolutely incredible. Well, Kent, we we certainly appreciate you and in, in, in your time this evening. It, it's been a lot of fun diving into uh, not only kind of the inspiration for what drove uh, the Raz scores, but uh, you know just kind of the journey uh, that it's taken you on and and where it is now and uh, how prevalent it is in in terms of the work Q has done with us here at, at Bears on Tap and on Tap Sportsnet and and uh, I mean. Probably one of the the best watched Bears, you know, YouTube short clips we have was was fawning over uh, Chase Claypool's Raz score. So uh, it's it's been well noted here as well. So it, it's been awesome, and, and we certainly appreciate your time. Um, make sure everybody follows you. You're at Math Bomb on Twitter, correct? Um, yep. And then Raz dot Football uh, on the interwebs for the actual website. Anywhere else uh, you can you can plug your work for us, Kent. Yeah, I'm also on a, a new application called The Stunt. It's a, a sports-only social media network. Um, I'm also Math Bomb on there. I'm actually going to be doing short-form videos. Uh, I'm still struggling to do videos on my own. I'm going to get there. It's so much funner when you have a bunch of guys. It's weird when you're talking to yourself. Uh, but I plan on doing a bunch of short-form videos there as well as the regular content that I do on Twitter and elsewhere. Um, and you can find me at uh, Pro Football Network. I run the mock draft simulator for Pro Football Network. So you can always go to profootballnetwork.com slash mock draft and run the mock draft there. Um, that supports my work as well. You can always yell at me about different things with the the, the simulator. And it, I don't take it wrong. I, I take it as constructive criticism on how we can <laughs> fix it. Um, we got to make sure we have a nice free uh, mock draft sim out there so you guys can, can make trades and play around with your being your own GM. Uh, it's a lot of fun doing that kind of stuff. In addition to all the rad stuff that I work on, one hundred percent that it is. And uh, for everybody that knows us here at Bears on Tap on Tap Sports, that you are to find us. Be sure to follow Kent. Um, 
sincerely, sir, uh, we, we greatly appreciate your time. This has been an absolute blast. Um, hopefully we'll, we'll be able to stay in touch with you. Maybe we can get you back on uh, ahead of the Detroit Lions series. Uh, that, that feels like a, an appropriate time to get you back on. And, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll put the RAS scores to aside and we'll, we'll just, you know, clash orange and blue versus blue and silver at that point in time. But uh, Kent, thank you so much. Uh, Q appreciate you uh, putting this all together and allowing us all to jump on tonight. And uh We'll get out of here the only way we know how. Here at Bears on Tap. We'll get out of here with a bear down. Uh, I, I know you, you won't do that with us, Kent, but that's okay. But uh avert my eyes. <laughs> <laughs> but hey, bear down, baby. Bear down. Later, guys.